A new sign of cooling inflation weeks before the Fed meets for another potential rate hike. Plus, we continue with our discussion from last week as we take a look back at what has changed in the three years since the COVID shutdown. Your market moment begins now. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. The hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms forms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Welcome to this week's Market Moment. I'm Lee Mackey, along with Eli Freeman and Matt Walters. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Yeah, good weekend. Temps dropped, which wasn't fun. It was cold yesterday, but had a good weekend and uh, ready for a good week. Yeah, and made it out with no hail damage yes. on any of our vehicles. I think we saw four seasons on Saturday. Yeah, it <laughs> was, mean, it it was went pretty from crazy. the 80s to the, the 40s in mm-hmm. a span of a few hours. Yeah, it was. if you were in Bentonville proper, it was dangerous. Yeah. Anywhere else, it seemed to be fine. But just the downtown area around the Bentonville area, it, it, some golf-sized hail. Yeah, there might be a um, a hail sale for for some cars on some car dealerships here before you know it. Say that five times fast. Hail sale, sale. Well, we're glad to have you with us this week. Um, let's talk a little bit about inflation. It seems like we've talked about this topic for um, quite some time, but maybe we're beginning to see the the beginning of the end. Another sign of easing inflation, the latest CPI report or Consumer Price Index report shows prices only rising by 0.1% from last month and sitting at 5% over March of last year. Just last month, it was a 6% year-over-year increase. Not only is that the slowest increase since May of 2021, but the stats for March were better than expectations from economists. Keep in mind that the Fed will be meeting again in two weeks, beginning on May the 3rd, for what many believe will be another uh, interest rate hike. What many people believe will be maybe their last. What do you guys think the Fed will do two weeks? You know, I'll give my opinion quickly. I think that um, we're due for one more rate hike. I think it'll be 25 basis points. And I think that then Chairman Powell and the rest of the the committee will sit back and wait. Um, but you know, I mean, parts of the economy are still hot. Some parts are cooling. I think at, right now it's it's anybody's guess what they'll do. If I were had to put money on it, I bet they would increase one more time and then maybe pause. I'm still a little. I'm not super optimistic that the, the approach they've taken is even the right approach. I think it's helping maybe, but you know, they're not. What they're doing is not going to solve the problem by itself. And I think you saw some of that with the banking scare. That sure. has had, I think, more of an impact over the last month or so than the rate hikes that they've made, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was like, obviously, that the banking scare was in large part because of the rate hikes, mm-hmm. but they kind of need some help. The rate hikes alone aren't going to get us where we need to go. That's not going to fix the problem by itself. So there either needs to be something else that struggles, that creates some instability in the market, um, that, that cools things off. Mm-hmm. The money supply needs to come down. And so... I think they're to the point that they're seeing enough out there that they're like, 
hey, we're not done done, but maybe we're really close to hitting pause for a while. Yeah. I'm really encouraged just by watching the inflation readings, and I know we're going to dive deeper into the most recent inflation reading. But if you go back to June of, what's that, 2022, so June of 2022, the inflation was around 9%. And that was when we were all thinking, oh, my goodness, can't, how are we going to get this to slow down? Well, fast forward to just our most recent inflation reading, and it's around 5%. Yeah. So what they're doing, just strictly forgetting everything else, strictly on an inflation reading, the, the rate hikes are working. I wonder, if, I wonder if, they've, if they calculate those two inflation numbers the same. I feel yeah. like they're constantly <laughs> changing. changing. Yeah. You, you know, but what, what I'm finding very interesting is, and, and Eli, this is to your point, you know, a year ago, you know, the inflation rate was, you know, astronomical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, could, could it, are we going to hit double digits? I mean, we were kind of thinking that. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost half of that. But, you know, the people I talk to, family, friends, they're really beginning to feel it now. I mean, and I think some of that's the cumulative effect, Mm -hmm. but I mean, whether you go out to eat, put gas in your car, go to the grocery store, buy clothes for your kids, you know, everything is more expensive now. And, you know, and I don't see that Mm -hmm. improving for a while. So, yeah. And the reason we're talking about inflation, right, this is a follow up to last week's conversation, like looking back over the last three years since COVID hit what all has happened and kind of the ramifications of that, you know, inflation has been public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been the thing that the Fed's trying to get their handle on, um, you know, employment, labor, we're going to talk about it here in a minute, but like the employment numbers have held up and been really strong, really tight labor market. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of been like inflation is this one thing that if we can make it go away, you know, we might be able to have that quote unquote soft landing that, you know, everybody was kind of hoping for a while back. Um, so that's why we wanted to start with it and talking about it because it's been driving the bus on the decisions that have been made over the last 12 to 18 months. Do you ever, this is a kind of a side note question. Do you ever think inflation can just take care of itself? I mean, if the Fed did yes, not absolutely. raise rates. It absolutely would. It wouldn't happen in the time people want it Correct. to happen. Mm-hmm. It would take longer. And so. But eventually people would stop spending yeah. because they just I mean, simply the can't mu- afford the su- the, You know, you get into the supply of money, money supply. You get into the velocity of money, right? The turnover of money. You get into rates. That is all capable of taking care of itself when there's extremes in either direction. Mm-hmm. It's just going to take a while. Mm-hmm. And we're not a patient cu- country in a lot of ways, patient people. And our leadership, anyone in office and anyone in charge, they don't want to be the ones you know, that get rightly or wrongly kind of credited for something bad happening. And they're going to mm-hmm. try to, quote unquote, fix the problem in as short of a period of time as possible, where there's a lot of arguments to say, it's okay to go through a rough period. It's okay to go through a period of five, 10 years of higher inflation, just like we went through the last 15 years of one and a half percent inflation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's pros and cons, right? I'm not saying that I want that. I'm not, but yeah, I think these things would absolutely solve themselves just over what period of time? Yeah. The Federal Reserve, you could you could almost think of it like a, a business. They're, they're just running a a massive business here in the United States. And if any business is out of alignment with their goals, so most businesses sit down and, and set goals. We do here at Mach 1 and everyone else does. They set a target of 
maybe we want this many sales or we want this much revenue. Well, like the Federal Reserve has their two goals and they're gung ho. They're going to stick stick sure. to those two goals. What drives me crazy is like, and we've talked about this, but like, why are those, like, where did 2% come from? Why are we hung up on 2%? <laughs> the hundred year average in our country is, you know, 60% higher than that. Mm -hmm. So why are we stuck on, hey, we're going to get inflation to down to 2%? And I think a lot of it comes back because of because of how um, young a lot of this is in terms of a structure and these decisions being made, right? I mean, it's only been the last couple decades where you've had a Fed with this kind of power making these kinds of decisions in this kind of a public setting. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Yeah, Eli, I agree. It's like a business. Like they set targets and they're going to do what they think they need to do to hit them. But it's, I think there needs to be serious questions of like, are we, did we set the right targets and, and why? Because I think there's a strong argument to say maybe three, three and a half percent should be your target inflation rate, mm -hmm. right? Just based on historical averages. Thoughts? I mean, you know, and, and I agree. You know, Eli, you're talking about if it was a corporation, you know, many people believe that the Fed, is the most powerful entity in Washington, mm -hmm. um, much more powerful than the White House, much more powerful than Congress, you know, and and in theory, the Fed is an apolitical. I mean, they, they, they are not driven by a party, you know, Democrats or Republican. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, Matt, the you know, nobody in the White House wants thing to, things to collapse on their watch. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I, I agree. We're not a very patient society. <laughs> you know, we want to get back to whatever their mandate is, 2% full employment. Um, yeah. Quick, quickly. Sticking with the looking at history to today, there was a, a, a tweet by Ben Carlson, who I like to follow, and he, he was listing all of the total inflation in, in periods. So like mm. two, in two, 2000 to 2010, 2010 to 2020. In 2010 to 2020, total inflation was 20%. In 2010 to 2020, total wage growth was 27%. So a little bit more wage growth than there was inflation. So far, just in the 2020 to 2023, we've had total inflation of 17%. So just 3% off what it was the mm -hmm. last 10 years. And in wage growth of 20%, which is almost what we saw in wage growth from 2010 to wow. 2020. Yeah. Well, and by definition, I mean, you have to have bad periods to have good periods, if that makes sense, right? Because if every year was a good year, let's say you defined in the market 15% mm. as a good year. You know, hear me out. That would become the norm, not a good year. So if you always had good years, it's no longer a good year. And I could, you could apply this to inflation. You could apply it to the stock market. You could apply it to anything. And so you just normalize what you would have considered a good year, right? Sure. And so why do we consider a 7 to 10% return in the market as normal and anything above that may be a good year? It's because we've had years below it and the 7 to 10% is kind of the average. If the market clipped off 15% every single year, it would no longer be considered a good year. And so I think it's just a case to say for us to continue to grow for a free society to have the growth in a capitalistic society that we need, like you need the good and the bad. The bad flushes out things that shouldn't be there, right? The bad businesses, the bad leadership, the bad policies. You can't have the good without the bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now we're in the bad, if you want to sure. keep it in um, with your terms, um, and maybe we're coming out of that. 
coming on the heels of, you know, many think eight to 10 years of good. And of course, smack in the middle of that and the, the transition period was COVID. It was a three-year period where everything was turned on its head. Um, you know, it, it, everything that we had been doing, which seemed normal, was done, was stopped. Um, the government got involved, you know, sending checks to, you know, basically every American citizen for the better part of a year and a half, which created a lot of what we're dealing with now. So as we transitioned to kind of what we were talking about a little bit last week, you know, the three-year period of COVID or the three years since the, the economy shut down, you know, has seen, you know, radical differences in, in, in everything, in the economy and so forth. As a continuation to what we were talking about last week, you know, what are some other changes or what are some other important facts that we need mm-hmm. to think about when we're talking about this three-year period? So you, you posed a question last week, Lee, that I wanted to touch on. Your question was, do you think people are, are better off or worse off today than they were before COVID? And strictly on the, the financially speaking. Now, this is one very small part of a financial picture, but this is more on the side of if someone wanted to go out and purchase a house, I ran the numbers. The average home price around March of 2020 was 280. So that was the median home price, interest rate around three and a quarter. Today, it's up about 34% for an average home price. So now you're talking 376,000 with an interest rate of six and a quarter. So your payment, if you do 20% down, so 20% down, standard loan, your payment was $976, just principal and interest. Today, it'd be $1,857. Wow. That's a 90% increase in three years because of the 30% increase and rates. That's that's hard to swallow. That if you just missed that that three-year window, you had to pay a 90% more per month for the next 30 years. Yeah, and most people buy their houses based on the monthly payment, right? Yeah, not sure. not the top end like v- price of the home. And mm-hmm. so that is pricing out a lot of people or making them buy less home or making them stretch themselves, right? Well, financially. And I, and I think that is why here in Northwest Arkansas, for those who are listening that are where we are, that's why you're seeing apartments being built mm-hmm. everywhere you look. Getting you know, whether it's Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, Bentonville, Apartments are going up everywhere, and they're being full as soon as they're built. Mm-hmm. You know, and rent rate, uh, rent prices are are going up still, still. Um, so yeah, I mean, because you can't afford a house. Mm-hmm. What baffles me is that housing is still relatively strong. We've seen certain sectors of housing drop in price, but for the most part, housing has stayed strong. And the primary reason is saying that there's still plenty of people who want to buy a house really no matter what the interest rate is, as long as they can figure out how to finance the house, supply is still way too low relative to the demand that people want to purchase housing. So it, that's another bright point, in my opinion, in the economy is even though interest rates are at 6%, people are still, albeit maybe stretching themselves <laughs> more than they were, but people are still looking to buy and, and the market is still pretty strong in the housing sector. You know, I think the consumer is still relatively strong um now i I know there's going to be parts of our country where the consumer's not as strong um you know that's why i'm beginning to think more and more that you know as we slow down you know the the whether we have a recession or not i think you may see recessions in certain parts of the country i think you'll see a recession in certain sectors of the economy i don't know if it's going to be a 
across the board, but um, it's, you know, the consumer has held up pretty well so far. We're beginning to see some, you know, some holes in that. Some signs of weakness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, so far to date, you know, it's, it's continued to prop us up pretty well. Yeah, and we haven't, going back to the, the housing situation, you know, I haven't looked at, it'd be interesting to really dig into the numbers, but I was just pulling up like the U.S. population growth, right? I mean, you naturally oh, yeah. have this increasing demand just based on people being bored. And as long as your population is growing, you're going to need more and more homes. But then if you take into account also like homes that are that are being torn down, right, versus homes that are being built, like what is the bare minimum amount of homes that need to be built just to house the natural organic growth of, you know, the U.S.? Because um, there's there's not any homes. I mean, I look at Zillow and stuff from time to time, and it's like you're if you go into Zillow and you're like, hey, I'm looking at a price between, you know, this and this and kind of want like, and you set two or three parameters, it's like all the homes disappear because yeah. <laughs> there's just nothing, like you can't be picky mm-hmm. at all. You kind of just dealt the cards and you have to buy what, you know, is available. And so just very different. And I don't know, it is interesting. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that continues because, you know, home builders aren't near as incentivized to build now. with oh, rate yeah. rate higher and things slower, materials up. Um so it could be a problem um, moving forward. And I know, you know, one of the big scares for a lot of people, not scares, but things that people are worried about is the commercial real estate market mm-hmm. over the coming one, two, three, four years. A lot of commercial notes, um, you know, that are coming due over the next couple of years. How are they going to refinance that? Occupancy rates are down in a lot of your metropolitan area. You mm-hmm. know, so there, I think real estate is definitely an interesting um area to well, and, and the difference to. between commercial and residential real estate it's it's becoming more and more contrasting yeah. because of like commercial loans that have the balloon where they're going to balloon into the new interest rate in right. three four and five it, whereas in residential you have a lot of people who've locked in their interest rate there's no such thing as the balloon right. arms if someone bought an arm in 2020 I had never heard of it. I don't know any mortgage lender that would have given an arm in 2020. It just didn't make sense. Right. So, but you know, but now you're beginning to see them. Yeah. You know, now you're having people go out and get a five, seven, a ten-year arm, thinking that hey, at some point in the next three to five years, rates are going to come down. I'll have a chance to refinance, and and there might be some validity sure. to that. Sure. You know, you're talking about corporate um, occupancy and commercial rates or commercial occupancy rates, you know, in New York, they're pretty excited because they hit, they just hit like 50 to 60% occupancy coming out of COVID. (laughs) And here we are in Northwest Arkansas and we're sitting at about 96, 97%, (laughs) you know, occupancy rate. So, you know, again, different parts of the country are going to feel it in different ways. You know, guys, it will be interesting to see what, you know, textbooks and college courses will be taught about looking back to, you know, this period mm-hmm. of time, you know, not only from a, what it did from a healthcare and politics and so forth, but truly what it did to not only the U.S. economy, but to the world economy, you know, where you literally had an event that brought the world to a standstill and, and, and still, you know, we're still recovering. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that when we're in the future, looking back at this time that will be spoken about much more in maybe in economics classes, money and banking classes, something like that, then we're speaking about today is the money supply. Because money supply is something that's heavily taught in 
in college courses. Economics 101. Economics 101 <laughs> teaches you what M1 and M2 yeah. money supply is. And today we're sitting here talking about inflation with a lot of the underlying reasons being we just have a little bit, meaning a lot of bit, of problems with too much money supply right now. And it's coming back. Well, it is, it, it's one of those situations where you know, our government kind of created the problem. Now yeah. the government is being called on to try to fix the problem. And it's kind of like Matt said, when I asked that question at the beginning, you know, if you just kind of left things alone, it would, it would fix itself. It just probably wouldn't happen as quick as, as quick. Yeah. And I'm looking at a, you know, us population chart overlaid with the us M2 money supply. M2 is up 24% over the last three years. The population's up 1.3, right? A lot yeah. more money. In about the same number of hands. And mm-hmm. so it's going to change things. Mm-hmm. And there has to be something that happens to correct that. Right? You know, and, and you, you mentioned the banking. And, the, and I say that not in a sense of like something's got to blow up. Things have already started to blow up. Mm-hmm. Some of that has happened. So it's not like there's one big event that we're waiting on. But things have to get bad when you have a correct. period like that with so much money up there. Well, you mentioned it earlier. Um you know the, the the bank the banks that collapsed the bank scare I'm not even calling it a crisis the bank scare from about a month ago now, you know helped the Fed a little bit. You mm-hmm. know I mean banks have tightened up their lending policies and so forth. So they need to do that. We need to get more money out of the system, um, and you know it just takes time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, Warren Buffett talked about it in in one of the most recent press releases that he did, and basically what he said was if people can't do good business, they need to lose some money. Yeah. And, and that, well, and that kind of goes back to my, for, to have good periods, you have to have bad, like businesses need to go out of business sure because do. it will make sure the good businesses thrive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And so you can't have the good without the bad. Well, and I, I think we, sorry, I'll, I'll shut up. But I think, I think we lose sight of that because we're so and I'm speaking for myself, right? It, like we're coddled and like we just spoiled, spoiled. <laughs> and, you know, we don't want we want things to be as easy as humanly possible in every aspect of our life. And when it's not that way, we're very quick to kind of gripe and complain mm-hmm. or point fingers and, and blame. Yeah. And so, you know, I just kind of challenge all of us to just, you know, look at life and not to get too, you know, um, big picture here, but like. There's going to be bad times, right? And it's going to make the good times that much sweeter. You know, that that's why the business that we're in, you know, financial planning, investment management, so much of what we do is psychology. It's how you think and how clients think. And, you know, it's it's telling them not to get all, all worried when things go down and it's not to get too up when the markets are going doing well. I mean, there's a lot of psychology to this. You know, Matt, you were talking about um, earlier when good times become normal. Mm-hmm. You know, then you don't know really how to experience the bad times. I was kind of thinking in football terms, you know, the Alabama football team is, you know, they've been one or near number one for, you know, since Saban got there, okay? yeah. you know, for 10 years or so, you know, and a eight or nine win season for them, you know, they'd be calling for some people to be fired, whereas – you know, us. Arkansas and, fan. Yeah. yeah, if we had eight or nine win seasons, mm-hmm. man, we'd be giving our coaches raises and parades yeah. down Dixon Street. Mm-hmm. So it is It is very much about what you get used to and, you know, so. Yeah, and I've told clients before some of the – because, you know, they'll ask about, like, well, what are, what are you guys doing for us and how do you get paid? And I've made the comment before that 
I might bring the most value to this relationship by helping you get out of your own way. Right. Yeah. And regardless of what investments we use and what you're invested in and some people, that's different for different people. Right. But for some people, um, you, you know, working with an advisor or working with someone, you just, because you were mentioning a minute ago, Lee, like it, we're, we're emotional people. We, you know, we react, we're fearful people. And sometimes you need that accountability partner in every aspect of your life, spiritual, financial mm-hmm. health, right. To, help you get out of your own way. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Any other parting comments, guys, before we sign off for this week? I've talked enough today. So. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, good conversation. We even made it a little bit into philosophy yeah, today. Right. Hey, you never, you never know what you're going to get <laughs> on right. the market It's moment. never too early to bring a football um, analogy into the, the, the market moment. All right, we like to end each week with a thought of the day. And, guys, this week, I like this one. Ralph yeah. Waldo Emerson his quote is, for every minute you are angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. For every minute you are angry, that 60 seconds of happiness that you can't get back. I like that. That's a good one. All right, guys. Thank you all for being here this week. Until next week, thank you for joining us on The Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC. Mach 1 is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-onefinancial.com disclosures.